Mark 8, 22-26, in our series on the miracles of Jesus. What Mark gives us here is Mark's own unique contribution to the four Gospels. Matthew, Luke, and John do not touch upon it. It's a very impressive miracle we're going to look at tonight, but uh, very unusual. Some think it's the strangest of all of Jesus' miracles. Let me read that to you. Mark 8, 22 through 26. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly, and he sent him to his home, saying, do not even enter the village. George Shearing was a famous jazz pianist. He played concerts all over the world. He's born blind, but he learned to play the piano and he was a, a renowned genius in playing the piano. But he, was, he had this handicap of being blind, but it didn't stop him. And he would be, find, be found in the midst of a busy uh, city, standing on the si- sidewalk with other pedestrians waiting to cross. And he managed to handle this all by himself with his cane and his dark glasses. And one particular day, he says, a man tapped him on the shoulder. And he said, my friend, he said, I'm blind, I can't see. Would you please lead me across the intersection? And, of course, Shearing's first response, first thought was, well, I'm sorry, but I'm blind, too. But before he said that, Shearing, in recounting this, said, why not? Why don't I do it? So he said, certainly, my friend, I'll guide you across. And so when the signal changed, he walked across, literally, the blind leading the blind. (laughs) Sometime after that, Shearing was thinking back to that incident. And he, who had played these concerts to standing room only, crowds of all the ovations, He said about this incident with the blind man, it was the greatest thrill of my life. We're looking at a man whose greatest thrill of his life is going to be experienced in this passage. At verse 22, we're introduced to it. They came to Bethsaida, Jesus and his disciples. Bethsaida means house of fish or fish house. It's in Perea on the northeast shore of Galilee. If you're familiar with the geography of the Palestine, uh, off to the west you have Galilee, you have the Sea of Galilee with the Jordan River, and this is Perea over here. So on the northeast part of the Sea of Galilee, that's where it's at. It was the hometown of Peter. And we are reminded that Mark, in writing this, undoubtedly depended a lot on the Apostle Peter for his information, first-hand information, eyewitness testimony. Matthew eleven twenty one tells us that Jesus had done several mighty works there, but only this one and the 5,000, feeding the 5,000 were indicated by Mark. And we read some people, verses, uh, at the end of verse 22, since some people brought to him a blind man. He saw George Shearing, a blind man. Here's another one. Very quite, very quite common in Bible times for several reasons. Poor hygiene, a lack of the medicines that we have today, and the expertise of the doctors that uh, 
solve all kinds of, of, blind, of eye problems. Exposure to the elements. And it said that their eyes were actually clouded. A mucus comes over their eyelids. And swarms of flies would be flying around their eyes. What a horrible sight to have seen blind people in the time of Jesus. Well, how he lost his sight, we're not, we're not told. It probably he had not been born blind, but he had become blind. And some people brought him to Jesus. It's interesting that the initiative doesn't come from the man. It's not that the man said, I hear Jesus of Nazareth is in town. He does miracles. Could you take me to him? The impression given here is that it was the people who came to the blind man and said, we've heard about Jesus of Nazareth who does these remarkable, amazing miracles. Perhaps he could help you. And of course, this man had a little bit of hope having heard that. And so he willingly let the people bring himself to him. So we are to commend his friends for their, their concern and their initiative here. Yet they seem to have thought that touch was necessary. Remember back in the fifth chapter, the, the woman there, verse 28, she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. She didn't want to address Jesus there in the fifth chapter, but she said, if I could just reach out and kind of touch the hem of his garment somehow, that'll, that'll heal me in some way. So they had this idea of if you could just touch something, it would have a certain benefit to you, especially uh, regarding uh, Jesus. They were so concerned or, or so committed to this thought that they begged Jesus to touch him. They just didn't sort of request it. They said, oh, please, please touch this man. He's our friend. He's blind. He can't see. Touch him. Can you heal him? Can you do anything to help him? As we come to verse 23, compacted in that one verse are five things that Jesus does. With the blind man. Five things. Number one, he took the blind man by the hand. They had just begged him to touch him, and so he did by taking his hand. And in doing that, it wasn't because this man needed guides, although undoubtedly he needed some kind of a guide. Rather, Jesus wants to show him his personal attention to him. It's not recorded, but perhaps Jesus said, Yes, I will. You want me to touch him? I will. He reached out and took his hand. So that's the first thing that he did, establishing a personal relationship with him. So in the blind man, he was encouraged by the fact his friends took him to meet Jesus, and perhaps something might happen to him in some way. Wouldn't it be wonderful if I could see again? But uh, in addition to that, he, his faith, faith was also growing a little bit. Now, with Jesus personal attention to him so that's the first thing jesus did the second thing he did in verse 23 he led him out of the village now this was not jesus usual way he usually dealt with the situation at hand how many people were there gathered around and that's who he dealt with he wouldn't take him out of the village so the question is why did jesus lead this blind man out of the village and there are several possibilities uh, could it be that this uh, was to avoid collecting a loud crowd running up to him and interfering with what he was going to do. Uh, secondly, might it be displeasure toward the people of the town? The Bethsaida had rejected him earlier, and perhaps he just didn't want to uh, do any more particular work in their presence. Was it to escape the designs of the Pharisees and the false teachers and their threats? That's been suggested. 
was it to help this uh, blind man feel more comfortable, more at ease in a quiet place where Jesus could talk to him in, in quiet. We're in Mark chapter 8, verses 22 through 26. Another suggestion is he led him out of the village simply because Mark wants to show that Jesus doesn't always do things the same way all the time with his miracles. And I've mentioned that to you before. The miracles of Jesus are all different. It's all, not a cookie-cutter type presentation that he makes. So he takes him by the hand. That's one thing he does. He leads him out of the village. That's the second thing in verse 23. The third thing in verse 23 that Jesus does is very, very interesting. When, when he had spit on his eyes... He spit on his eyes. Now, to us, that seems very unhygienic. It just seems, it's just kind of the creeps to think of something like that. When you cut your finger, what's probably the first thing you do? Right? I see a lot of you doing that. So, undoubtedly, there's some kind of a medicinal benefit to human saliva regarding a sore or wound or something like that. And certainly back in those days, they had figured that out one way or the other. In Jesus' day, uh, healing virtue of, the healing virtue of that, of spittle, was ascribed by, to it by Tacitus, Suetonius, Pliny, and other various parts of, the, uh, parts of the, the Talmud. So this was something that people sought to do, to uh, have spit put on their eyes or perhaps on other sores and that kind of thing. Um, but by these actions, Jesus entered into the thought world, not only of, of the man, but also of the world of his day, who would understand this has something to do with a medicinal type thing. Jesus is going to do something to try to heal his eyes. It must have been the reaction of everybody. But also, Jesus is calling attention by the, to the man of what he is about to do. My friend, something will be done for your eyes, and I will do it. As he takes his own spit puts it on the eyes of the blind man. The fourth thing in verse 23 that Jesus does is to lay his hands on him. You see that at the end of Mark 8, verse 23. He laid his hands on him. Earlier, he had touched one hand. Now, in some way, probably on the shoulders, maybe on top of the head. We don't know. We're not told that. But he laid both hands uh, upon him giving this man further reassurance and hope that something's going to be done. By the way, for blind people, touch is very, very important, particularly if they're not, they sort of sense you're there maybe, and uh, their hearing is very good, but uh, all of a sudden you reach out and you know, touch, pat their shoulder or something like that. That's very encouraging, very reassuring to blind people. And so there again, we see Jesus making that personal contact with this individual. And then the fifth and final thing that he does in verse 23 regarding the blind man is he asks him a question. The question was this, do you see anything? Almost giving us the, the idea that Jesus is asking, did it work? Did my miracle work? I'm going to comment on this in just a few moments a little further. But this pause with this question is uh, very unlike Christ's usual immediate uh, restoration of, in his miracles. Something happens right away, fully, completely. But Jesus, it doesn't happen that way. Jesus asks this question. 
Do you see anything? Well, the man asks, answers the question in verse 24. He looked up and said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. This is a very difficult Greek phrase to try to translate into English. The New International Version says, I see people, they look like trees walking around. So both the NIV, the ESV that I'm reading here, and hopefully your version, is somewhat close to that. The, the idea is that he sees movement, and he, is, he, he has not seen trees, but he has probably felt trees, and knows how they are with the trunk of the tree and so forth. And that's the conclusion he draws, that they're not men, but they are trees walking around. At least that's what was conveyed to him when Jesus said, do you see anything? Yeah, I see walking trees. Kind of interesting. The word, the, before the word men, I see men, he said, I see the men, the men. And some Bible scholars feel that he's talking about the 12 disciples who are the closest to Jesus and he's saying, I see, I see the men, the men that were with you. I see them, they look like, like trees. So he's kind of bringing now the tree idea to the men idea together, but it's very unclear. He's not seeing completely clear at verse 24. Now remember that he was, Jesus was accompanied by his disciples wherever he went because he was training them to understand and to put more of his faith and trust in him. And this is one of the lessons that uh, they had to learn. And we'll come on, comment about that in just a moment. In other words, he wanted them to grasp their spiritual blindness to spiritual truth. Uh, my friends talking to his disciples, you're not understanding what I'm saying here. And I'm trying to get you to understand. I'm trying to get your spiritual eyes to open up here. So here's this visual demonstration of dealing with this blind man getting his eyes open. So the man's answer is somewhat awkward, and uh, probably it's because he was excited, he was joyous that something was happening. At least he could see something a little bit now. So what he's saying is something like this. I see the men. I see men. Because it's trees, I see them walking around. That's another translation. Even today, we use the word trunk for the trunk of a tree and the trunk of the human body. So what he said He's not as uh, idiotic as we might think. So his outward vision still was blurred, even though his mental observation was correct. But now that raises this point. Verse 25 begins, Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. Rather odd, don't you think? This is almost, reading this for the first time, this is almost, we come to it, and Jesus touches him, lays his hands on him to perform this miracle, bring his eyesight back. Because he asked him, do you see anything? And we would expect the man to say, yes, I see completely. But here the man is saying, well, I, I see something. So it looks like trees walking around. It's almost like Jesus would, what happened? It didn't work. I can't perform, I didn't perform this miracle right. Well, of course, we cannot say that about the Son of God. There's something more behind this, something, another conclusion we can come to. 
Why then did Jesus abandon his usual method of instantaneous healing? Number one, to strengthen this man's weak faith. He had given him a glimpse of what was to come to awaken him to longing for the fullness of his sight. This longing, once awakened, would bring further satisfaction to this man. Secondly, as I mentioned, he was doing this to teach his disciples a lesson. That was important. And thirdly, I think it's because he wanted to demonstrate his sovereign freedom in performing his miracles. Like I said earlier, his miracles are not always done the same way. Some were done instantaneous, some were like this. Uh, some, he just willed it, and all the water and the wine, it was done. So every miracle is quite different. John Calvin has written, He did so most probably for the purpose of proving, in the case of this man, that he had full liberty as to his method of proceeding and was not restricted to a fixed rule. And so the grace of Christ, which had formerly been poured out suddenly on others, flowed by drops, as it were, on this man. But the fact that there was this double touching gives, I think, indication or evidence of the genuineness of this story. Otherwise, who would have made this kind of thing up? Probably no one. But the fact that it's, it's so strange to us indicates the probability of its genuineness. And I use the word probability in very generally. We know it's genuine because it's the word of God. And what happened? Verse 25. Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he, that is the blind man, opened his eyes, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. It's interesting the verbs used in his recovery of his sight in this passage, starting in verse 24. He was looking up, he opened his eyes, and he saw everything clearly. Clearly, or literally, clearly from afar, indicating the complete restoration of the sight. A tremendous miracle Jesus performed, even though he did it in two parts, because he chose to do it that way for those reasons. And of course, to this man, this blind man, it had to have been the greatest thrill of his life. Verse 26, and he sent him home, to his home, saying, do not even enter the village. I don't want you to go running into the village and telling people what's happening here. I want you to go home for the benefit of the man, that he might calmly meditate on his blessing and think about what Jesus said, who Jesus was, and talk about with his immediate family and his close friends there. Also, I think he, Jesus gave these instructions to uh, play down any role that he was the miracle worker. The miracle worker has come to town. He didn't want to push that yet because his hour had not yet come. It's not time yet to head all the way to Calvary. Not at this point in time. Let me close by sharing three uh, comments about this passage, application of it. First of all, the importance of this story for Mark, who wrote it, wrote about it. Um, 
He is interested not just in the miracles Jesus performed, but how the Lord is bringing his disciples along. Mark is a very short book, but here and there you find references in Mark to his dealing with the disciples, especially opening their spiritually blind eyes and their understanding there. Both were a, that one, and also the miracle preceding this up in chapter 7, the healing of the deaf man, and in that case, spittle also was used. But those two instances were a fulfillment of Isaiah 35, 5. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Now, the fact that Jesus is dealing with his disciples is bearing some fruit. Because look what happens right after our text. Verse 27. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others said, Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And then Peter answers him, you are the Christ. So that much development in their faith had come about at this point in the ministry of Jesus. They were acknowledging he was the Messiah. He was the Christ. And right before him, the Messiah was performing these amazing works in their presence. So this was very important for Mark to get that point across, that uh, The eyes of spiritually dead people need to be opened up. And also, it was a help in this connection with the Christian community of that day who would be reading Mark for the first time and then passing it on to others. And the message of Mark would get about there uh, as he prepared this gospel account. And uh, they could identify with this blind man, many of them, who were brought from spiritual darkness to spiritual light. Remember, this is the first century. These are new converts that are coming into the church of that first century as the spirit of Pentecost has been poured out upon them. And so uh, this would be an encouragement to them to see, well, well, what happens here is what happened to me in my spiritual life, how I was brought from spiritual darkness to spiritual light. And so they could praise God for that. A second uh, application is the very obvious one, uh, an illustration of sinners who by nature are spiritually dead. 2 Corinthians 4.4 The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. All we have to do is look around in our day, read the newspaper, see people interviewed on television, and think of how many today have a very vague muddled, unclear vision about the Bible, what it really says, about Jesus, who he really is, about salvation, how we are really saved, those kinds of things. Our society, at least in America, and I know in other parts of the world it's true, we have a very insipid spirituality. That's one of the key words in our day, isn't it? Spirituality. I I don't have much room for the church, but I am spiritual. I'm interested in spiritual things, whatever that means. And it keeps them from seeing who they really are, sinners lost, and who Jesus really is, the Savior. 
that they miss that completely. They may read about it, they may hear a message about it, and goes right over their heads. They're spiritually dead. And only the Lord can overcome that blindness. And the way he does it is by giving uh, them glimmerings. And this is true, I think, even of those of us that have been brought up in the church. When we get to the point where we are, you know, three, four, five years old, whenever, and we're told Bible stories, and uh, uh, pretty soon we begin to understand things, and we have hear this story and that story. I think I heard that story before, and then pretty soon this information, bit by bit by bit, is, is beginning to uh, be understood. We don't get it all at one time. The Lord doesn't load us with everything, all theology and all Bible, boom, like that. We've got to learn it, glimmering, step by step. This man, this blind man in our text, he first had to uh, be willing to be taken by his friends to Jesus. Then he was willing to put his hand in Jesus' hand. When Jesus took his hand, he was willing to stand there as Jesus put spittle on his eyes. And, but bit by bit, he was putting his trust in Christ, and he didn't, didn't back away from it at all. And then Jesus gave him partial sight, and then finally full, complete sight. At first, the Bible and its doctrines appear full of mysteries. The mind is perplexed. When I've had opportunity to talk to people that have newly been brought into the faith, you know, one of the first things they say is, boy, this Bible's a hard book to understand. <laughs> a lot here, I don't know about it. And I just tell them, I say, you're right, it's a big book. There's lots of things I... I have a seminary education. I don't understand it completely myself, so don't be discouraged if you don't understand it. But in due time, as the Holy Spirit works in our hearts and our minds, we, we hear sermon after sermon, Sunday school lesson after Sunday school lesson, passage after passage. The Holy Spirit takes that and builds into our souls, into our minds, the truth of the Word of God. So that's something else we can learn from this passage. And then finally, a third application Think of the wide variety of conversion experiences as each person is touched by Jesus in a different way. There's some similarities with others. Yet it was the faith that brought about the salvation. It was the faith and trust in Christ that was the defining moment, along with repentance of sin, that brought the person to salvation. If we had time here this afternoon would be interesting just to go around and say, when did you come to understand Jesus as your Savior? Was it, did you grow up in a Christian family like I did? I can't really pinpoint any particular time that happened, but somewhere along the line it happened. Maybe some of you said, well, it was, I was a teenager when this happened. I had a teenage friend who invited me to this church group, and I learned about the gospel. For some of you, it might not have happened until you're in your 20s, some in your 40s, some later in life. Uh, and then each experience is so different. You know, some is just a very quiet thing. You're studying the scripture and all comes to play, all of a sudden it happens. Uh, for others, somebody has been talking to you and argumentative, uh, debating with you on this and struggling with you. And finally, you begin to sense what the answer is. Such a variety of ways that, that we come. And here's a very unusual way that this man uh, came about. But in good time, the Lord completes what he has begun. We're not told what happened to this man here, other than the fact the implication is that he did follow Jesus' instructions in verse 26 and uh, went back to his home and didn't go into his village. But uh, in good time, the Lord continued to work in him. As uh, again, alluding to a sermon I gave not too long ago from Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this very thing, 
that he who has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So the Lord doesn't leave us as orphans out there. And uh, who knows that this man might have become a follower of Jesus um, in coming days. Hebrews 12, 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. I like that word perfecter. Bring it to completion. So first, the blindness of our sin, then partial sight. And that continues, 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Paul says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, now I know in part. But one day I'll know completely with perfect sight in heaven with 20-20 vision at that time. 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears... We shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And whatever that's going to be like, I can't imagine. All I know is that for we who are trusting in Christ as our Savior and our Lord, it will be the greatest thrill of our life. Join me in prayer. Our Father, we give you praise for our salvation. All glory is due to you. We did not earn it. We did not set about to find it. If anything, we were running away from it. We rebelled. That problem even continues today in our sanctified state where at times we do not follow your ways. So again, we ask your forgiveness and we draw upon your mercy and uh, grace to meet with us to help us in our spiritual walk, in the struggles we have with the forces of darkness, that we might be found faithful to you and continue to be lights in the world as sin-darkened minds are brought more and more to an understanding of their predicament and the solution to be found in your Son, our Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.